I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s... I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Newt. Due to the virus, I'm recording from home. So you may notice a difference in audio quality. On this episode of Newt's World, I have a chance to talk with my good friend, Congressman and Chairman of the National Republican Congressional Committee, Tom Ever, from Minnesota, who was talking to us from cheerful 30-degree weather. But he had played a huge role in the remarkable House Republican outcome in November. Tom, thank you for agreeing to share with us what happened and how it happened and what it means for 2022. It's always great to be with you, Newt. When you were faced with what had happened in 2018, and you knew that you had to put together both a recruiting and a campaign that would break out of the mold at a time when all the so-called experts said the Democrats were probably going to pick up 15 House seats. How did you approach this whole campaign? Well, it's a great question because it actually goes back to the election itself in 2018, Newt. While I was one of the members that was involved at the National Republican Congressional Committee, I was actually getting ready to support my classmate, Mimi Walters from Orange County, California, to be the next chairperson of the NRCC. And as you know, Election night 2018 didn't go so well for our California friends, including Mimi. And I got up the next day and I told my wife first, I said, I know what I have to do. I've been doing this political thing, as you know, Newt, for 
almost two decades now, and I'd been involved in some very interesting campaigns, including a statewide campaign in Minnesota, and obviously the last six years working with congressional campaigns across the country. I called Mimi and told her that, you know, we didn't know she was going to lose at that point, but I called her and told her, I have to do this job. My colleagues shortly thereafter elected me to the position, and I knew we had to change a couple of things. You don't recreate the wheel. In fact, your former chief, I believe, Annette Meeks, is a good friend. And I told Annette when I was going to do this job what I intended to do. And you know what she told me, Newt? She said, well, that's exactly what Newt and company did back in the early 90s. So I don't think we were recreating the wheel. First, it was going back and getting the culture within the committee. What had happened from an outsider's view, and I did, like I said, have a couple of years inside watching this happen, much like the super PACs, seemed to compete in the 18 cycle. Internally in the building, we were having that kind of territorial competition taking place as well between departments. So the first thing was to push the reset button. You're dealing with a what, $200 million business with about 80 to 100 people in DC, and then a network that spans the entire country of political organizations, of donors, of other organizations that have similar interests. What we did when we came in was took a business that had been extremely successful for about a decade, had pretty much gotten back into almost a static position and pushed the reset button, brought in Parker Poling as the executive director, Robert Boland as the deputy executive, the new communications team led by Chris Pack. Our finance team had some carryovers, but had new energy. And obviously our political team led by Justin Richards did a phenomenal job. The other thing that I think we did extremely well is in aligning with our leader, Kevin McCarthy. He just quite simply is the best fundraiser we have. He's the best political mind as far as I'm concerned that we have. And look, it's a customer service business. Kevin McCarthy is the number one customer, Steve Scalise, number two, and then so on. It's Liz Cheney and the entire conference. But I think we did very well in working as a team all the way through the finish line. And the results, I think, prove that. When you reached out, I was really impressed both with the strength of your candidates and their diversity. They were very strong candidates almost everywhere in the country. And it's the most diverse class, I think, in the history of the House Republican Party. How did you go about that kind of recruiting? All of it. Two things, Newt. One, when I came to Washington, D.C. and listened to experts tell me who's the best candidate to run in Minnesota's 7th district, who's the best candidate to run in Minnesota's 1st congressional district, Newt, I believe I know Minnesota better than any Washington consultant. And so when I got this job to chair the NRCC, the first mission on recruitment was this. We were going to create a recruitment class of members because I believe the delegations are the best recruiting tools you have. I think this is where I didn't recreate the wheel because my understanding is, yeah, you and your team did a lot of this a couple decades ago. Basically, I took the attitude that I know Minnesota better than somebody from New York. And guess what? That person from New York knows the bench in New York better than somebody in Texas and so on. We put Susan Brooks in charge of it. The other attitude was this, and I know that Kevin and others have adopted it, I've always taken the attitude, we got to stop playing with the Democrats or the left-leaning media's words. And they talk about how we needed to be more diverse. Look, Newt, on main streets all across this country, the Republican Party already is the diverse party. Not only diversity in terms of people, 
you know, gender, race, religion, all kinds of different backgrounds. But we have a diversity of ideas like the other side doesn't have. And by the way, our ideas work. The process from our standpoint was to reach onto Main Street with this group of members who are going to spearhead the recruitment effort and identify the bench. Once we identified candidates, Kevin McCarthy was number one. We'd make sure that Kevin was connected with these people. He made a gargantuan effort to connect with every one of them. Steve Scalise, really, my hat's off to him. And of course, myself and our team, we were doing it every day at the NRCC. And you bring people in. I remember one meeting in particular, you probably did a lot of these back in your day. They come in and they say, well, we really don't think we should have a primary. We're going to be damaged coming through the primary. And I'd look at him and say, what are you afraid of? You know, you're a better candidate coming through a primary. And if everybody handed this thing to you, you're probably not going to be the general election candidate that you would like to be. The NRCC, which I'm very proud of, made a very conscious effort not to get involved in primaries. That doesn't mean we never helped candidates. If a candidate had surrounded himself or herself with a great team, Newt, and they were calling, asking for help with the press, asking for help with research, other things that they needed for their campaign, we helped everybody equally. And we let the best candidates find their way through the process. Now, our members, whether it was Kevin McCarthy, Steve Scalise, or anyone else, they played in primaries all across the country, and they won some, and they lost some. At the end of the day, the whole process made sure that the National Republican Congressional Committee, and more importantly, Kevin McCarthy as our leader, the Republican Conference, had a good night on election night. I was impressed. I did a number of Zoom fundraising events, and I thought you had a lot of really mature candidates, people who didn't fit the traditional mold, like an NFL football player. You had several Korean women who had been holding local elected office who really understood Orange County in depth in California. And so as I looked around, I just thought we were seeing an emergence of a new idea-oriented Republican Party with people who are pretty self-confident. I mean, these aren't just 31-year-olds who hope somebody will like them. These are people who really want to make a difference. People were coming out of the woodwork at a level of quality. And I don't know if they were being attracted by Trump or driven by Pelosi, but they seemed to be, frankly, better than most of the candidates we recruited in the 80s and early 90s. I was very impressed with how mature they seemed. I can say that it's all of the above. The Trump effect drove it. The Pelosi effect drove it. I truly believe the extreme left, you know, whether it's violence in our streets or it's the cancel culture or this extreme socialist agenda of the Green New Deal and things like that, I think it did wake up a lot of our incredible candidates out there. And when you talk about they were more mature, you hear this all the time, Newt, people who have come here from places like Venezuela, from Colombia, from places in Europe, Eastern Europe, they will tell you that too often they see Americans taking their freedom and opportunity that this country gives us for granted. These people don't. These people came from backgrounds. Some of them were first-generation Korean Americans. It's like Mike Garcia, who won an election, special election in May, and then held on to his seat in the 20 election. But, you know, you look at Michelle Steele and Young Kim, first-generation Korean Americans. They take nothing for granted, and they are very proud of the Constitutional Republic, and not only their knowledge of it, 
but of the opportunity it provides. And they just absolutely breathe that spirit when they talk to people. You got people like Maria Elvira Salazar and Carlos Jimenez in Florida. It's the same thing. They come from similar backgrounds as all of those Venezuelans, Colombians, Cubans that have migrated to this country in search of not only freedom, but peace in the streets where their families can grow and prosper. And then you've got some people who just, they love to take on challenges. Nancy Mace, first woman to graduate from the Sentinel. And you got Marionette Miller Meeks who refuses to take no for an answer as she turns out to win a landslide victory by six votes. It's a very impressive class and that's why we had success with them. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives, like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. 
I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In that context, I think for most of our listeners, you explain what does the National Republican Congressional Committee do? So we're a $200 million business. I guess after this cycle, we'll start calling ourselves a $260 million business since we raised a record amount of money. But again, 80 to 100 people employed in Washington, D.C. We are the recruitment arm. We are the arm that gives our candidates the tools to succeed in a campaign, not only in the beginning of the campaign, but in the general election, obviously. And we're the fundraising arm that runs these campaigns. A lot of people never know what the NRCC is. I will tell you what we do also, Newt, and I'll use the California special election, California 25 with Mike Garcia last May as an example. Mike Garcia came out of a primary on March 3rd as the winner. He had very little resources left because it was a hotly contested primary. Our team sat down with his team on March 4th and mapped out a strategy to win that seat. First off, we can use dollars, call it coordinated money or hybrid money to match with the candidate to get him up on air. And our guys had a plan to get Mike Garcia and his team on targeted cable by April 1st with the idea that there's a special election on May 12th. The targeted cable was going to be a positive message. Mike was going to run as the fighter pilot, first generation Hispanic to go to Annapolis, flew fighter jets, defended our country. Now he wants to work for you. He's a family man in the Los Angeles suburbs. Positive message. If his campaign germinated, the hope was by the end of April, he could graduate to broadcast TV in the LA market, which you know, Nude, is very expensive. On our side, we set off with our researchers to find what is the most important thing to voters when it came to the handpicked candidate by Nancy Pelosi, a woman named Christy Smith, who's in the California Assembly. Our guys are the best researchers in the business. They looked at several different things, but there were two votes knew that were devastating to Christy Smith. One, she took several votes as a school board member before she ran for the California Assembly that actually cost teachers their jobs. The other one, as a California Assemblywoman, she made sure to vote to give herself a raise at the taxpayer's expense. Our guys found that when you combine those two things, the firing of teachers and the giving herself a raise, it was devastating. You know, here's another self-interested politician that takes care of herself at the expense of everyone else. The Democrats didn't realize how this was working until about the third week of April. And when they saw what was happening last April, they brought in Bernie Sanders first. That didn't work. So they brought in Hillary Clinton. And I would have argued back then that's like throwing an anvil to a drowning man. That didn't work. And so the last week they brought in Barack Obama and knew that didn't even work. Mike ended up winning that seat by almost 10 points, and it proved to be what we said it was then, a bellwether for the 2020 general election. So do you think that he would have not been able to build the momentum? And I remember it's the very first time we picked up a California seat since, what, 1998? Correct. I think a lot of people were startled in Washington 
And I agree with you. We had two bellwethers in 94 that told us we might win the House for the first time in 40 years. And these specials, sometimes you really learn a lot from them. But what I was curious about was when you were faced with that, at the same time, you have all of the Washington establishment saying that Pelosi is going to pick up 15 seats. How do you maintain your own morale in a situation like that? But it is twofold. And let's talk about the members first. I found through this two-year cycle, you know, a lot of my background is on a hockey rink before I got into my professional life and raised a family, Newt. And while I was raising my family, I coached for 20 years. And it's amazing what young people will do if you can convince them that they have the capacity to do something together. I found everything I learned over 20 years of coaching applied to this job. I mean, you would get people all revved up on the tips of their skates, ready to run out onto the rink and do something that they never thought they could accomplish. And guess what, Newt? 24 hours later, somebody put a, a story out there or some poll came out and they'd all be like, oh my gosh, now what do we do? I mean, are we ever going to have a chance to actually accomplish this thing? That was constant. That was constant. And I got to thank our leader who, he hung in there and he he was getting advice towards the end too. He told me about a week before the election, he goes, I know, Tom, but my guys are telling me that this is possible, that we can lose 10 to 15 seats. And I just kept saying, Kevin, anything's possible, but I'm just not seeing it. I'm just not seeing it. We got great candidates. We had the right message, Newt, right? It was freedom versus socialism. It was about law and order, peace in the streets. I mean, they're supporting rioters and they're equivocating when it comes to their support of law enforcement across this country. So at the end of the day, we had enough resources. For me personally, I talked to our friend Norm Coleman after the election. He called a couple nights later and said, now that it's over, we can talk, you know, because he does the stuff with CLF. And I had to tell him, you know, they were telling me six months earlier, you got to start managing expectations. And I said, Norm, that's just not in my DNA. I mean, have you ever had a coach, Newt, who walked into a locker room and said, look, if you guys give it everything you've got, if you commit your heart and soul to this effort, you, you might win. You, you got a chance. Uh, that's not the way it works. So if somebody was going to suffer a loss on this thing, it was going to be me. And at the end of the day, it worked out really well. I'm mostly disappointed that we didn't climb the entire mountain because I thought with the candidates we had and the message we had, that we were in a place to make history that nobody thought we could make. I agree with you there. There are those moments when you just think, what else could have broken? If you take the next layer out of the races that were very, very close, what do you think might have made the difference? I'm reluctant to be critical of anyone having run a statewide campaign myself 10 years ago where I think I left it all out on the field and it just didn't break my way. This is the point where people will do the hindsight, right? Note, And it's like, well, if you would have done this, if you could have done that, it's all about timing. Perhaps that first debate, if that first debate would have looked like the second debate, perhaps we would have seen even more success in the House races and, by the way, in the Senate races as well and the presidential race. So, but it's tough for me. We're still taking it apart. I look at the David Young race in Iowa and how close that was. And it's just amazing to me that David, who ran a great race, is the one that doesn't get through. And we pick up both Ashley Hinson and Marionette Miller-Meeks. I look in places like Texas, where Wes Hunt was a great candidate. I'd love to see Wes Hunt run again. And let's put it this way. The other part of me says, 
look, if the partisan courts hadn't redrawn the lines in North Carolina, if the partisan courts hadn't redrawn the line in Pennsylvania, knew we would be in the majority right now, and we'd be getting ready to elect Kevin McCarthy as the next Speaker of the House. I had some of those experiences, because we've been in the minority for so many years, that you'd see the Washington Post headlines that morning, and they would always be negative, and you'd have to stop yourself and say, wait a second, this is the Washington Post. And then you would sort of take the story and move it about 40 degrees towards conservatism, and it'll be okay. But it was an almost everyday experience of the media trying to demoralize us and convince us we couldn't do anything. You've got a couple of really narrow victories. Are you afraid that the Democrats in the House may try to repeat what they did in Indiana in 1985 and actually just plain outright steal those seats? The answer is yes. But in a degree, I would tell you I'm less concerned about Iowa's second congressional district than I am about New York's 22nd. Iowa's second, you know, Rita Hart, there was an article over the weekend, I forget what the publication was, but it said her campaign team and herself have committed political malpractice. And it goes through how she has done everything wrong. Every single decision she made was the wrong one, including the last one, which was to bypass the last state remedy that she had and say, you know, we're going to go straight to Nancy Pelosi because that's the only place that we can get the result that we want. And she's lost everybody on the left, Newt. When the Des Moines Register has gone against you, you know that you've made a mistake as a Democrat. As I've told Dr. Miller Meeks, you know, if they would somehow steal that election, that is going to cause damage to the Democrats in Iowa and beyond for years. And you better believe the branding that we did with the freedom versus socialism, because these are not my grandfather's Democrats. They have proudly announced they're socialists. And you've got the crazy left represented by Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, my colleague Ilhan Omar and Ayanna Presley from Massachusetts. Newt, they're out there saying right now, the reason that the Republicans did well, the reason the Democrats in the House didn't do as well as they should have is because they weren't crazy enough. If you're going to follow that kind of an agenda and be even more crazy over the next two years, and you're going to try and steal either Iowa's 2nd District or New York 22, where Claudia Tenney is in a very close battle and the courts have gotten involved now, this is going to have ramifications for the broader messaging, I believe, over the next 24 months as we close out taking back the majority. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday... 
I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I was really impressed that Republicans won 28 of the 29 most competitive House races, as projected by Nate Silver and 538. I mean, when we won in 94 for the first time in 40 years, I'm not sure we did as well in the most competitive races as you did. That's really a remarkable achievement. That meant that in those races, the Democrats knew they were competitive. They were piling in amazing amounts of money, and they had convinced themselves that this was going to be a great winning year. And to win 28 out of 29 is just an amazing achievement. I commend you and Parker, the entire NRCC team, and Kevin and Steve and the others. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think you lost a single incumbent who was running for re-election. That is correct. We not only didn't lose any incumbent, which is the first time since 1994, which you remember well, but we also didn't lose anybody from our Patriot program, which includes obviously the incumbents. But I point that out because the Patriots, those are the most vulnerable incumbents. John Katko from New York, a good friend of mine, he actually spearheaded that with John Billings, who was the director of that program, who's now going to be the executive director 
of the NRCC for the next two years, these guys actually took a different attitude from the past, Newt. They took the Patriot program and said, rather than saying these are our most vulnerable candidates when you look at the list, much like the Democrats put out their frontline program, these are the ones most at risk. Catco and Billings took the attitude that these were going to be the most prepared candidates because that's what I had seen two years ago. The big fear that I had personally from January of 2017 through the November 18 elections was not the tier one candidates. They were doing what they needed to do. They were building their campaign reserves, et cetera. It was the tier two candidates, you know, great people, but guys like John Culberson in Houston and the old H.W. Bush, John was a great member, but he hadn't had a race, a real race for several cycles. And when the race came, it was tough to get that muscle memory back and get back out there and actually be able to defend yourself. And he almost pulled it off, but we had a whole bunch of those. As you remember, in the fall of 18, I think out of the races we lost, those vulnerable races in 18, about 105,000 votes nationwide separated us from being in the majority versus the minority where we ended up. We didn't lose one incumbent first time since your 94 experience, which I'm pretty proud of. By the way, there's a great matching pair of pictures. I think they're on Facebook or Twitter. We had Nancy Pelosi meeting with all the Democrats who had lost. And you had Kevin walking by himself through Statuary Hall and it said, Leader McCarthy and Republican incumbents who lost. And there's nobody in the picture except Kevin. I thought that the two pictures together told a big story. I also want to go back to something you mentioned, because I think as you're recruiting people who did pretty well but didn't quite get there. I remember campaigning with you in Winona, I think it was 10 years ago for governor. And I ran three times. I lost the first two times. And so I think sometimes you have to go to guys for whom, you know, they think it's all or nothing once and say, you know, that isn't always the way it works. And if you really want to serve your country, if you learned a lot, if you came reasonably close, dust off your shoes and get back out there shaking hands and raising money and You certainly are an example of that. I mean, how many races have you been in in your career? Oh, if you go back to 2004, so there were three in the Minnesota House. Actually, I started with city councils years ago, so you could go back to the early 90s, Newt. But the three in the Minnesota House, the governor's race was two complete years of my life and my bride, Jackie. We traveled the whole state, which, quite frankly... That's the reason I'm still involved in politics, because, you know, you get in these state houses or I guess if you go right to the Congress and you might actually come to believe that that rarefied air and that echo chamber is the main street in a small town in Minnesota. When I got to run, because I kept thinking, I can't just be me. I can't be this far out of the mainstream. I realized that I was Main Street, Minnesota, while the guys that were in that rarefied air were just adopting their own political class. I didn't know that I was going to come back, Newt, but I'm glad that I did. You're right. You learn from mistakes. You learn from disappointments. The question is, what do you do with them? It's no different than on the hockey rink. You're either going to succeed or you're not. And if you don't succeed, do you have the courage to give it another try? And when you do it, what are you going to learn? What did you do? What were you in control of that you could have done better or differently? And by the way, in this job, it's great because now I got a whole bunch of colleagues, not all of them have that experience. So it's great that you're able to share it. It's great that you're able to put it to use. You know, I did a podcast the other day with Elise Stefanik and about her work 
in recruiting women. And I was really struck that the House Republican Party now is producing a new generation of younger leaders who are actually just going out and getting things done. There was a period there where there was a kind of passivity that had grown up in the party. And it's exciting to think that maybe one of the outcomes of 2018 and of Kevin's style of leadership is that lots of different mid-level players are now going to have a chance to really have an impact and make a difference. Wow. No, you just took me back. First off, she's one of the brightest people that we have in our conference. She is that next generation of Republican that's going to remake the party and take it forward. The only party, by the way, that I believe has a chance to actually make the constitutional republic work and make it better because you can see the socialists on the other side are not interested in that kind of a future. (laughs) We no longer have that choice, Newt, between the size and scope of government versus the right of an individual to self-determine. We literally have this argument about whether we believe in what the greatest experiment and freedom provides or if we're supposed to follow this path of failed socialist theory. But Elise is a great example. We're going to have 32 women in the conference. It's a new energy. And this is what you reminded me of. And you must have lived through it because I've thought about this for a long time and I wanted to ask you about it. It's hard to win the majority. It's easy to sit in the minority. If you want to just go to Congress and have a card and vote, I think that's what happened to Republicans from the 50s on to 94. And perhaps it was your experience back in 84 when they stole a seat from the Republicans in Indiana that woke everybody up that this is a shirts and skins game. And if we're going to have a real say in the direction of America, we got to lean in and we got to fight. And that was probably the most important thing the last two years. When you talk about Kevin McCarthy's leadership, Newt, Kevin McCarthy and the committee gave me the backing that I needed to do the things. He said, we're going to have to break a few plates to win a majority. Because, you know, there's a lot of people that get squeamish about defining our opponents, about making it clear who they really are. These are people who ran on a fraud in 2018. They ran saying they were moderates. They ran saying they weren't going to vote for Nancy Pelosi. They raised saying they supported your constitutional rights, the Second Amendment at all. And guess what? They came to Congress and did just the opposite. So we had to be very hard hitting and direct in defining who our opponents were. And then guess what? Kevin put out the commitment to America at the end and gave a value proposition to voters. That excites, I believe, this new young group of Republicans that are out there, because you've been saying it for years. We are a party of ideas. Our ideas work. We just have to have people that are more connected to Main Street selling those ideas, because that's what not only attracts new people to Congress, to state legislatures, to city councils, that's what attracts the voters to our candidates. That's how you win. So imagine just for a minute, that for the person listening into our conversation, imagine you're on the phone trying to convince somebody to run. What's your ultimate pitch? What's the elevator version of why they ought to get in the game? It depends on the person. I mean, there are some that I say, really? How crazy are you, right? Uh, <laughs> but I have done that, by the way. And it's really about your country now more than ever. I just told you. Newt, it's not a choice between candidates anymore. This is not a choice between being a Republican or a Democrat. The choice today is really about two completely different visions for the future of this country. On the Republican side, it is a choice about freedom, 
the freedom to self-determine, the freedom to choose your own doctor, the freedom to choose how you want to educate your children, the freedom of choice that this free market economy is supposed to give us, uh, choice and opportunity. On the other side, unfortunately, it really is something completely different. It is turning over our choices to government and more importantly, the people who run the government and eventually will own the government. That's what this is all about. And I tell people if they haven't for years, they should go back and read The Road to Serfdom by Hayek because it literally lays out for you what we're dealing with today. And if you want for your children the ability for them to self-determine and succeed, have freedom and prosperity, you want to vote Republican and we need you to run as a Republican because the stakes are just too high. And as you can tell, Newt, I hope I get a little passionate about it and people get a little excited. Kevin McCarthy follows up with a similar pitch or a better pitch and just tells him, you want to be part of something bigger in your life? Join us. And it works. If somebody listening to this decides they want to get involved and help, not necessarily be a candidate, but be helpful, how do they reach the NRCC? What's the right way for them to get in touch? Several different ways. I'll tell you, Erica Shockey, who turned into a pretty good candidate in Michigan, we'll see if he wants to run again, depending on how the redistricting goes. You know how I found him? He contacted me over LinkedIn. He messaged me on LinkedIn. <laughs> There's plenty of ways to find me, but you can reach out to your state delegation. I mean, if you're interested in running, you should reach out to Republican members of Congress in your state. You should reach out to local leaders and have them connect you because, look, the best candidates are the candidates that come directly from Main Street and that Main Street has taken ownership in. The candidates that think they can come to Washington and get tapped, oh, look, this person can self-finance. They got a great personality. If people aren't bought into your brand and your product, and that comes from Main Street, it's going to be a lot harder to make the process work. So there's many different ways to do it, Newt, but I would say contact your delegation. If anybody that's listening to this podcast wants more information, they can contact me directly at the National Republican Congressional Committee. We have a website. You can go through that or you can find me on LinkedIn or John Billings. Like I said, he has been announced as our next executive director and you can find him as well. But there's many different ways to reach out. And we're interested in Good. anyone who is interested in being part of something bigger than themselves and protecting the freedoms this country promises to everyone who chases their American dream. We'll put the contact points on our show page and I just want to close by thanking you, you know, having done this for a good bit of my life, you only get the kind of change that you're bringing about when you have courageous people who spend endless hours between the telephone, the airplane, meeting after meeting. So I know how much of you, you're personally pouring into this. I appreciate your family supporting you do it because it's hard. And I think that what you achieved in this cycle was amazing. And I am very confident that when we do one of these in 23, it'll be talking about how you got to be a majority and what Speaker Kevin McCarthy is going to be doing at that point. That's the goal. And we're going to finish what we started, Newt. Thank you. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Kendall. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars 
and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.